Good evening. Welcome to Grace United Reformed Church. It is good for us to be here to praise the Lord and to be instructed tonight. We're going to start singing Psalm 1, number 1, out of the blue Psalter. Number 1, and singing 1, 2, 3, and 5. Next, number 190, from Psalm 98, 190, and all three. Then to a hymn, number 378. 378. We'll sing all four with the 
second verse a cappella. number number 412 I love to tell the story and we're going to sing all four of 412 with the third verse a cappella
Oh, we need a battery. We do have a, it's working for the moment, but your call. Uh, we do a pre-profession class for those um, who uh, are interested after the evening worship this evening. And uh, also, uh, just a reminder, please uh, sign up for the soup supper after. The old, old story. You know, um, there's a temptation to want to say something brand, brand new. Something exciting and unheard before. But the gospel is what we need. Because that's what brings us life. And it's that which leads us to what calls us to worship this evening which is the delight and the gratitude for what God has done in restoring us to himself. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your, your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. We shall be satisfied with the Lord, who has drawn us near and done everything that we might be at peace with him. Beloved, let us ask him for his blessing upon this time of worship in a moment of silent prayer. Lord, you have brought us near, that we might hear that old, old story and give you the praise of the brand new song of celebration in Christ. Cause us to use this time in a manner that is pleasing to you and that brings you much glory. In Jesus' name we pray it, amen. Let us stand together. Beloved, our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Hear now his greeting. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us sing praise together to him from number 114 in our Psalter hymnal. 114.
Beloved, using the words of the Apostles' Creed, we join our confession with that of the church throughout the world and throughout the ages. Congregation of our Lord, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe a holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our psalm selection this evening is Psalm 140, one of David's psalms. And this is a psalm that um, really sets a beautiful example for us in that he cries out in the face of enemies, those who are slandering him and bringing low his reputation among men, calling for God to deliver him. And then he remembers he confesses his recollection of how God has delivered him in the past. He's confident because he knows what God has done in the past. And then he, he pleads again for God to deliver, for God to rescue him. And then he expresses his confidence. He will deliver. He will hear my prayer. He will uh, release me from this struggle. This is David's song, likely late in his life. But it's also the song of Christ who deserved nothing but the praise of men and the glory of God who yet was the victim of slander and plots and hatred because, well, in part because they saw God in him and they hated God, but also in part because he bore our sin and our guilt and he was suffering what we deserved and yet the father did not reject him but for our sake rescued him and raised him up and because the father brought victory through him we can pray this prayer with confidence when we face the scorn and the hatred of an unbelieving world we can be confident on the basis of the deliverance we've already received that we will be delivered, that we will be rescued, and that God will never forsake us. Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their heart 
and stir up wars continually. They make their tongue sharp as a serpent's, and under their lips is the venom of asps. Guard me, O Lord, from the hand of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men who have planned to trip up my feet. The arrogant have hidden a trap for me, and with cords they have spread a net beside the way they have set snares for me. I say to the Lord, you are my God. Give ear to the voice of my pleas for mercy, O Lord. O Lord, my Lord, the strength of my salvation, you have covered my head in the days of battle. Grant not, O Lord, the desire of the wicked. Do not further their evil plot, or they will be exalted. As for the head of those who surround me, let the mischief of their lips overwhelm them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into fire, into miry pits no more to rise. Let not the slanderer be established in the land. Let evil hunt down the violent man speedily. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and will execute justice for the needy. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. Amen. Let's sing that psalm from our Trinity Psalter hymnal, Psalm 140.
As we come before the Lord in prayer, just a reminder, we were blessed with the news this morning of the birth of Thea May Sneller to David and Hannah uh, last evening. Mother and baby are both doing well, so we praise the Lord for that. Um, also, our um, consistory is planning to meet Thursday for a special meeting. And, uh, and then finally, the missions committee, the URC missions committee, requests prayers for the work in Tepic, Mexico, um, and the labors of Reverend Matt Van Dyken. Let's pray together. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, we live in a world where there are many who hate us because they hate you. We are in many ways outliers, Lord, who this world scorns because they know that the work that you're doing in us demonstrates that they, if they do not turn, will be judged. Sustain your people, Lord, as you long have sustained us. And enable us to stand firm before your face, serving you wholeheartedly in the days to come. Father, we thank you for the multitude of mercies that you have poured out upon this congregation. You have time and time and time again answered our prayers, met our needs, provided for us in time of trial. You brought forth covenant children. We thank you, Lord, for bringing forth Thea May. And we ask that you would strengthen and bless her and allow both her and Hannah to receive the rest and the strength that they need. Uh, bless David as he leads his family in uh, knowing and serving you. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to bless also those little ones who continue to grow in the womb and uh, whom you will bring forth in your good time. Lord, we pray that, that you would bring them forth in your good time and that you would bless each one of our children, that they might take hold of your covenant promises by faith and that they might rejoice to be counted your sons and daughters. Lord, we thank you for the work that you do in our midst through our office bearers. We pray that you would bless our elders and minister as they gather on Thursday for a meeting. We pray that you would uh, bless their time together with wisdom and unity as they seek to give good guidance and shepherding to your people whom you have entrusted to their care. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to provide for and to bless those whom you will call as elders, as deacons, as ministers. We pray that you would continue to, rise, to raise up men whom you have prepared, in, in whom you are dwelling, who will care for the church in the years to come. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to work in the hearts of all of your people. Lord, we pray that you would bless our seasoned saints who have walked with you for many years, that you would cause them to delight to live before you, to rejoice daily, even 
in the midst of the, the trials that come with age, even in the midst of the disappointments that sometimes come with our struggles against sin or with the, the paths that are taken by world leaders, yet cause our older saints to set an example of rejoicing in the Lord and walking willingly as your disciples, that those younger might take encouragement and guidance from them. We pray for the, the parents in our midst as they seek to raise up their children even unto adulthood and beyond with their eyes upon you. We pray that you would cause them to delight to live before you together. Make them to be selfless in showing love to their spouses and wise in discipling the children you have bestowed upon them. Lord, we pray for our single adults that you would cause them to delight as in the, the opportunities you give to serve you wholeheartedly. We pray, Father, that you would cause them to be single-minded in this to set you before their eyes as the king whom exclusively they serve. Be with our young people and young adults, Lord. Protect them from the snares of the evil one that litter their path like landmines. Cause them to delight in you, to love you deeply and earnestly, and to set before their peers an example of faith and of joy in Christ, and be with our children, Lord. Make them delight to know your word and to know that they are your children. Cause them to, to rejoice, to learn the lessons their parents teach them. And Lord, we pray in particular for their schooling, that you would cause them to learn all things in the light of your word, to be discerning from an early age, learning to sift the wheat from the chaff and to test all things in the light of your infallible and inerrant word. And Lord, we pray that you would cause all of your people to rejoice to know that we belong to you, to rejoice to know that we are part of your church, citizens in your kingdom, Make us to be bold in living according to your word and in confessing that you are our King and our Lord. And Lord, give us wisdom and understanding as we seek to apply your word and your will to, to the work that we do, to the friendships that we have, to the pastimes that we enjoy, that in all of it we might demonstrate that you are our King and we might bring you glory. Lord, when we struggle with conflict, when we struggle against the sins of the flesh, when we face persecution and trials and hardships, Lord, teach us to fall first to our knees seeking your guidance and your care and your wisdom. Enable us to minister to one another and to trust that no matter what the hardship or the trial, you are the one working in it to equip us for the next ministry, for the next service. Lord, we pray for our missionaries and our missionary efforts. We pray in particular this day for Brother Van Dyken down in Mexico. We ask that you would 
Uh, Bless that work, Lord, that you would sustain and strengthen those whom you have gathered there in Tepic and that you would bring others whom you have set apart for yourself that the church might expand even as you send your spirit to ensure that those who have been drawn are strengthened and blessed and matured. Father, we pray for more missionaries to be called, for more congregations to be gathered where your word is proclaimed and where your people gather for worship. We pray that you would protect the church from the snares of the evil one and from the the slander of an unbelieving world. And we pray that you would cause many who have heard your word, but have not yet responded, to respond with powerful faith that leads them not merely to be saved, but to reveal lives filled with gratitude to a watching world. And now, Lord, as we prepare to look together to your word, and particularly that portion of your word that calls us to pray for forgiveness and to pledge that we will demonstrate forgiveness. Lord, enable us to take that seriously, to recognize the depth and the breadth of the sin that still clings to us and our need to pray for forgiveness, but also to see, Lord, the missionary calling we have to forgive, revealing the character and the love of Christ as we freely release our loved ones, our friends, our family from the debt of the sin that they have accrued against us. Let them see in our forgiveness the image of Christ and their greater need to seek forgiveness from you through Christ. And now, Father, we pray all of this with thanksgiving that we can be counted your sons and daughters for the sake of Christ, in whose name we pray it. Amen. Well, as we prepare to look to God's Word, let's stand and sing. We're going to sing uh, a rendering of Psalm 32, which is a song of forgiveness. It's a, a psalm of David in which he thinks back on a time... Quite possibly the time when he was covering over his sin with Bathsheba, but not necessarily that time. But a time when he hid his sin. We know that impulse. But he recalls that as long as he hid that sin, it ate him up. It was only when he confessed when he sought the forgiveness that God through Christ alone can provide, that he was relieved, that he was comforted. And in response, he resolves to teach others the way of forgiveness, to teach others the way of life. This is our song as those who confess Christ, who've been delivered by him. So let's sing all the stanzas of Psalm 32, Selection A.
Well, before we look to our catechism lesson, I'd like to read with you two brief passages. The first is Psalm 130, and then a few verses from Matthew chapter 6. Psalm 130, one of the psalms of ascent that God's people would sing on their journey up to Jerusalem for the uh, feasts. And in that psalm, the psalmist marvels at the depth of his need, but also at the breadth of God's mercy. He says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption, and He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. Amen. And then looking to Matthew 6, right in the midst of... The Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has just spoken to his disciples to teach them the prayer that they should pray, which is a typical prayer. That is a a prayer that uh, typifies the way they should pray. And then he concludes, if you forgive others, this is verse 14, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen. Now, Lord's Day 51 in our catechism takes us to that sixth or fifth petition in the Lord's Prayer and asks, what does this fifth petition mean? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors means, because of Christ's blood, do not impute to us poor sinners that we are any of the transgressions we do or the evil that constantly clings to us. Forgive us, just as we are fully determined as evidence of your grace in us, wholeheartedly to forgive our neighbors. Amen. Beloved disciples, of our Lord Jesus Christ. You may recall from the last time we, or the last petition we looked at, that the fifth request of the Lord's Prayer is only the second request in which we directly seek something that we need. The fourth petition, we were seeking our daily bread, that is, seeking from God the physical needs that we have. Now we ask for forgiveness, which is a request for God to meet our spiritual needs. Now it's a straightforward request. We're asking God to forgive, asking Him to not hold against us the consequence for the sins that we've committed. But as simple as that sounds, that request can be taken wrongly in two very different ways. On the one hand, we might be tempted, and I think we probably often are tempted, to speak this request lightly. 
Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our debts. We say it all the time. Oh, Lord, forgive me. But we don't give thought to the weightiness and the cost of what we're asking. And we're not internally resolving to repent, recognizing the ugliness of the rebellion that's bound up in that sin. In praying this request lightly, we really mock the importance of what Christ came to do. So we must not do that. But on the other hand, neither may we recognize so heavily and weigh so so heavily the weightiness of our sin and the weakness that is inherent to us that we're reluctant to pray it at all. Thinking, well, I'm just going to fall into sin again. I'm just going to, what's the point? I'm just going to rebel again. I don't deserve it. Neither of those attitudes is warranted by the instruction we find in the Lord's Prayer. And so that's what we need to consider is why we need to take this prayer quite seriously as something that lies at the very heart of who we are as Christians, as sons and daughters of God, and at the same time why we must pray this prayer earnestly and confidently. It is Christ who teaches us to seek forgiveness from our gracious Father. That's our theme this evening. Christ teaches us to seek forgiveness from our gracious Father. And as we consider that request, we see first of all that it is a request founded sacrificially upon the Son. But to see that, we need to understand exactly what we're asking here. When we pray, forgive us our debts, we're implying, we're implying the confession that we have debts. Now, what is a debt? Kids, you understand what that is, right? If you owe something, if I borrowed $5 from you, I would have a debt. I would owe you $5. Or, on the other hand, if I was careless and backed my car over your bicycle, I would have a debt. I would owe you for the cost of your bike. If you have a debt, you owe something to someone. In our prayer, we confess our debts to God, which arise from sin. See, God created us, and He created us with the calling, every one of us, that we obey Him perfectly. And when we don't do that, we owe Him the cost of justice for our rebellion. In praying this prayer, we're telling God we have sinned. We are debtors. We're saying what David said in Psalm 51. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgression and my sin is ever before you, before me. David recognized there that he had sinned, that he had made himself guilty before God, that he owed God the punishment for his debt. Or again, recall what we read in Psalm 130. The psalmist calls out from the depths, that is from the depth of his sin and his guilt, And he confesses, O Lord, if you should mark iniquities, if you should keep track of all the rebellions and all the things I've done wrong, who could stand before you? And the implication is, not one of us could stand before you. Every one of us would deserve your everlasting wrath. 
You see, those psalms recognize, and many others, Psalm 32, which we just sang, recognize that sin creates a real problem for mankind. It makes us unacceptable to God, makes us offensive and worthy of His wrath. That's what sin does. It, it separates us from those whom we love. Now, of course, with people, we can sometimes hide our sin, at least for a time, right? You break something that's precious to your parents or someone else, perhaps you can hide it. You can at least delay them finding out, delay you getting in trouble. Or if you say something mean about your friend, maybe you'll be able to keep them from hearing that you said it. With people, maybe we can hide it for a while, but never with God. He knows not just what we've done, but why we've done it. He knows not just what we've said, but also what we wanted to say. He knows not just our actions, but the desires that lay behind them. We can never hide from God the sins that we've committed. He sees all that we do all the time. And therefore, there is no way we can escape the consequence of sin on our own. And the consequence of sin is costly. Our sin does two things. It makes us unclean before God. Sin is like a filth. Sometimes for my exercise, I go out and I split wood. And lately I've been splitting this wood that as soon as you touch it, the bark falls off and the, the stuff under the bark is just absolutely filthy. And it stains your hands. You can't go anywhere near it without it staining your hands, your clothes, everything. That's what sin is like. As soon as we commit it, it makes us filthy. And God is holy. He has no filth. He has no uncleanness in Him. He cannot allow us into His presence as long as we're stained with that guilt or with that sin. And at the same time, it makes us worthy of God's wrath. He created us to serve Him, to glorify Him. When we rebel against Him, we owe the cost of justice. And the cost of justice is very simple. The wages of sin is death. So that's what we owe Him. Let's be brutally honest. Our sin is evil. The heart of why we exist is to love and serve and glorify God. But sin ruins us for that purpose. It causes us to show not the image of God but a caricature of that image which is evil. Instead of loving and serving God, we rebel against Him. Instead of loving and serving our neighbor, we show hatred for Him. And maybe you think, well, I don't hate anyone. But we do. Implicitly. Because we're made to bear the image of God. And if we twist that image in our sin, then we're leading people away from the true God. We're leading them to, uh, to see in us a caricature of God who lies and who hates and who hurts, which isn't God. Right? Sin is evil, and that is what comes natural to us. And the breadth of our sin is morbidly impressive. Pick a commandment. We've broken it, haven't we? The first commandment, idolatry. Have you not at some time or another set someone or something higher in your heart than God is? 
Have you loved something more than you loved God? Have you trusted someone or something more than you trusted in God? And what about worship? Have you never come here and gone through the motions and spoken the words, but your mind, your heart were elsewhere, rendering your worship a caricature of what it should be? Or the third commandment, honoring God's name. Perhaps you've not misused his name in an obvious way, but have you blasphemed him by embracing sin while claiming to belong to God? Or have you heard others take his name in vain and stayed silent rather than defending him? Or the fourth commandment, the Sabbath day. Have you filled your mind with work even as your body was focused on worship? Or have you put off your weekday work until it was too late, forcing you to use God's holy day to do your chores, to do your homework, to do your planning? And so it goes with every one of God's commandments. We have rebelled against the authorities He sets over us. We have nurtured hatred in our hearts. We've set aside our consciences to embrace fleshly lusts. We've allowed our hearts to, to rest on things God has withheld. We've spoken evil of others rather than good. Name the commandment we've broken it. Name the sin we've committed it. And these offenses are not a trifling matter. They render us... Guilty before God. We owe Him a debt that we could never pay. We would, the essence of death is separation from God, and the separation that we owe Him would last unendingly, unceasingly unto eternity. It's a debt that we could never pay. So, what can we do about that? On our own, there's nothing we can do. We can't go and hit an undo button of some sort, we can't do enough good deeds to make up for it. But neither can we pay the price of our debt. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? The answer is no one. The only payment that will suffice is eternal death. And it would destroy us. The only possible escape is if someone takes our place. And that is why Jesus came. Psalm 130 concludes... He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And that's what he did when he sent his son Jesus. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To forgive, to pay the debt, and to cleanse, to remove that filth. And how does he do it? Verse 7, The blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. It's the only way it can happen. When we pray this prayer, forgive us our debts, we're pleading with God on the basis of what Christ has done. Use His death to pay my debt. Use His righteousness to cover over my defilement. Use all that He has done to restore me to you. And amazingly, Jesus is the one who commands us to ask. Pray in this way, he says in the Sermon on the Mount. And in, in the midst of that prayer, he tells us to pray. Forgive us our debts. And he knew that he would be the one to pay that debt. He knew that he would be the only one. In fact, he told them in John 14... I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. 
He is the one who had to pay the debt and he commanded us to ask for forgiveness that's founded sacrificially upon the Son. But then also we pray for a forgiveness extended mercifully by the Father, which is our second point. Remember, God the Father is our judge and the judge is absolutely sovereign. Let's say you were charged with a crime. You were arrested. The charges are filed by the district attorney. Your your attorney tells you there's no way you're getting out of this. The only hope you have is a plea bargain. You know what a plea bargain is, young'uns? It's when you agree to plead guilty in return for them giving you a lesser sentence. Well, you can agree to that. And the district attorney can agree to that. And even the victim might agree to that. But if the judge looks at it and says, no, you're not getting that plea bargain. Right? The judge is sovereign over what the punishment will be. And so it is with the true judge, with God the Father. Unless he is willing, no substitute will suffice. Only if God the judge permits it can we even approach him to seek forgiveness. So what a blessing that our God is merciful and willing to hear our plea. He's the one who says in Isaiah 55, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And he gives the encouragement of Psalm 130, calling us to await that forgiveness with hope. Jesus commands us to ask the Father, and the Father says, Come, seek forgiveness, seek release from your sin." You know, in the condition in which we were conceived and born, we were absolutely enmeshed in our sin. We were like children born in the worst kind of slum. All we had ever known was filth and ugliness and defilement. We couldn't imagine something better. So unless someone takes us by the filthy hand, draws us up out of the pit of that slum, and shows us something different, something better, something that gives us hope, we'll never seek it. And it's God who has done that for us. He reaches out to us who were born dead in sin, enslaved to our hatred against God and man. And He sent His Holy Spirit. By the Spirit, He showed us sin is ugly. It's miserable. There's a better way. And by the Holy Spirit... He opened our hearts so that hearing God's word, we can understand not only the ugliness of our sin, but there is a possibility of forgiveness and escape and life and reconciliation. And then he caused the gospel to come forth to us so that we could take hold of that. And then he worked the faith in our hearts by which we could come to Christ. You see, it is the judge himself who extends the mercy we need from the start. Absent his work, absent his calling out and transforming and softening and drawing us, we would never do it. And His mercy is even greater than that. Not only does He call us and change us and give us hope through His Spirit and His Word, but God is the one who sent His Son. Jesus repeatedly says, especially in the Gospel of John, I have come not to do my will, but the will of my Father in heaven. He came at the command of His heavenly Father to do the unthinkable so that we could receive the absolutely unearnable. Absolutely everything necessary for us to be restored God the Father ordained it. There was nothing compelling Him to do so. He would have been lacking nothing if He had allowed us to continue in our 
condemnation. No one could fault him if he resolved to give us the full weight of his punishment. And yet he chose to send Jesus. He chose to send the Holy Spirit. He chose to call us up out of that mess. We come to God the Father seeking forgiveness because he extended mercy first to us. We saw it in Psalm 130. Verse 4, God is the one who showed us that there is forgiveness. Verse 5, He gave us the word that showed us that there is hope. Verse 7, He commanded, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him there is plentiful redemption. He told us in Isaiah 55, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he, will, that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly forgive. Our judge did absolutely everything necessary for us to be forgiven. And having begun that process, having extended to us the hope of mercy, He sent His Son to pay the price. He sent His Spirit to change us. And then He adopted us. He delights in us. He sets before us the promises by which we live. The forgiveness we seek, brothers and sisters, is a forgiveness mercifully extended by our Heavenly Father. And yet there's one other aspect to this prayer. Because Jesus didn't just tell us to pray, forgive us our debts, period. He taught us to pray, forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Folks, that is not something we would add to that prayer ourselves. However, we hear Jesus say in Matthew 6, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. Clearly, it's important to Jesus that we also forgive. The question is why? And that brings us to our third and final but important point. That we are to seek a forgiveness that is imitated gratefully by the children. See, Jesus taught this prayer and spoke these words in the midst of his Sermon on the Mount. And that whole sermon is aimed at getting us to understand that discipleship arises from the heart. Judaism in that age was all about appearances. It was all about crossing the T's and dotting the I's and looking good in the sight of men. Doing what was required to get what was promised as a transaction. And Jesus said that's not it at all. The gospel is salvation freely freely received. And it results in a person who is changed from the heart out, who desires to reflect God. Our actions, our behavior, it's the fruit that comes from a renewed re-enlivened tree, he says in chapter 7. If the fruit is bad, it's because the root is bad, and the fruit can only be good if the root itself is good. And the root can't be good, changing the metaphor, unless it's rooted on the rock of Christ and not in the sand that will quickly wash away, which is the fear of man. And when it comes to this, 
He's teaching us that if we're truly forgiven, if we've truly been restored to our Heavenly Father, then we will long for the world to see what we have received in the way that we act. Psalm 73. In Psalm 73, God's servant testifies. I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. He's speaking to God. He marvels that he's always with God, that there's never a time that he's separated from God. That is one of the absolute blessings that we have as Christians. God who reached out to us, God who sent his son to die for us, he's the one who creates faith in us. And having created faith in us, He never leaves us. It doesn't matter how deep and dark the valley is, He's there. It doesn't matter how high and wonderful the mountaintop, He led us there. And it doesn't matter how hard the challenge before us, He's the one who by His strength will draw us through. Those in whom the Spirit lives and works, they begin to obey God invariably. Not yet perfectly, it's a process but it is evident that he is at work in them. And part of the reason is so that they can learn to show their gratitude. Now understand what gratitude is. Sometimes we think we're being grateful when we simply say thank you. Every one of the kids in here knows that if somebody gives him something, the right thing to do is to say thank you, right? But that's not forgiveness. It's just a confession of forgiveness. But you can say thankful and not be truly thankful, can't you? We've all seen it. On the one hand, the kid who gets the toy that he really wanted at Christmas or for his birthday, and he says, thank you, and you know that he means it. Why? Because he forgets to open his other gifts. He's so eager to look at and to evaluate and to unbox what he's just gotten. He's overwhelmed by it, and later on you see that he's, he's being very careful with it, and he loves it, and he, he, he's thankful. Right? He meant it. But then you see the kid who knows what to say, but he's not really thankful. He opens it up and he goes, Oh, socks, thank you. Right? Or maybe it's not socks. Maybe it's that uh, toy that he wanted last year. And he's kind of out of that now. He still says thank you. But if you look later on, there it sits, still in the box. Or maybe you find it a week later, out in the yard, broken, neglected forgotten. He said thank you, but he wasn't really thankful. Our behavior demonstrates that. Well, if we're truly thankful for the forgiveness that God has given us, we'll use it by imitating it. Seeing how precious is the gift of forgiveness we've received. And why is it precious, young people? Why is God's forgiveness so precious? It's because it restores us to Him, right? Our sins separated us from God so that we could have no relationship with the one who made us, with the one who designed us, the one that we were made to reflect to all the world. We were cut off from Him. The one we depend on every single moment for every single need. We had no relationship with Him, but He forgives us and suddenly, not only do we have a relationship, but He's our Father. We're His children. He loves us. He delights in us. Every time we look around and we see something beautiful, He's the one who put it there for us. Every time we see a difficulty, we know He's using it to bless us. Right? What an amazing gift that is. And when we see how precious that gift is, we will long for others to see something of that 
too. And so we, seeing that someone has sinned against us and it has separated us, it's broken our friendship, we'll go seek them out. And as God did to us, we will point out to them the sin that they committed lovingly, gently, but clearly. You did this and it broke our relationship. And we'll urge them to turn away from the sin that is coming between us. And if they do, we will forgive them. We won't forgive them like worldly people do, saying, oh yeah, it's fine, no, no worries. But then the next day saying, you know, it's like that other time you did it. You're doing it again. Look, look at what you did. Do you remember how you did that? I had to forgive you. That's not what God does, is it? He put our sins, says Psalm 103, as far from us or as far from him as the east is from the west. That interesting. Not as far as the north is from the south. You go far enough north, you start to go south again. But you can go east for as long as you live, and you'll still be going east. It's endless. He chooses to not remember our sins. And that's the forgiveness that we're called to give toward others. And not just that, extensively, also repeatedly. In Luke 17, Jesus says, If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. That's hard. The fifth or sixth time you start doubting his sincerity. But how many times have you sinned against God today? And how many times has he forgiven you? And put it as far from himself as the east is from the west. And received you back as his beloved child. Now recognizing the depth and the breadth of that forgiveness. And the fact that he demanded nothing of you. But simply said, you're forgiven, I love you. Will we not in gratitude long to do the same to our brothers? And we'll, we'll not just say it and then have nothing to do with them, but as God did for us, we'll work to rebuild that relationship, to reestablish that trust, to reformulate that communion, just as He did for us. Now, if we won't do that, Jesus says we won't be forgiven. Not because our forgiveness earns something in God's sight, not at all. Only Christ could earn our reconciliation but but if we're not willing to do that we show that we're not grateful which means that we've not really got the spirit in us and so we don't really have faith in Christ and so we're not really forgiven if we won't forgive that just simply shows that we don't actually have faith in Christ we've not actually been forgiven how terrible and yet, an infallible sign. The one who will not forgive demonstrates that the Spirit is not in him, and if the Spirit is not in him, he doesn't have Christ. So let us pray earnestly that God would fill us with the power of his Spirit, that we can demonstrate to all the world, not just that we possess Christ, but the grace and the glory of what he has done to restore us. So that we, with the psalmist, Psalm 73, can confess by our deeds, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever.
Beloved, this prayer that Jesus urges us to pray is not a prayer that we would naturally pray. We're naturally too self-centered, too self-reliant, too rebellious. But if we pray, forgive us our debts, He will answer. He will forgive. And He won't just forgive. He will so transform us that we will eagerly forgive those who have sinned against us. Something we would never do apart from the work of His Spirit. So let's pray it boldly. Let's pray it earnestly. And then let's go reflect to the world that which God has done for us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you have given us the gift without which we could not live. You have given us a gift that is greater than anything this world can offer. Thank you. Teach us now to earnestly desire and to cherish that which you've given. And Lord, make it to be our delight to show the world the glory and the goodness of what you have provided. As we forgive those who've offended us, And as in our forgiveness, they behold the gospel of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. In response, beloved, let us stand and sing together. Number 379 in our Psalter hymnal, Lord Jesus, I long to be perfectly whole. We'll sing all the stanzas of 379.
Our offering this evening is for the building fund. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this facility that you've given us where we can gather and worship you with joy. Grant now that the offerings we take up might demonstrate our gratitude to you and might be used in a way that brings honor and glory to you. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Our offering is or our offering song is number 96 which is a rendering of the last portion of Psalm 51. We'll sing all the stanzas of 96. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.